We're going to take a, going to take a brief uh, break from our series of the Gospel of Matthew tonight by looking at John uh, chapter 1. The Gospel of John. So I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll read John chapter 1. We'll focus in the sermon on the first five verses, but I would like to read verses 1 through uh, 1 through 14. Actually, we'll read one uh, all the way through 18. So 1 through 18. Uh, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, before we hear uh, God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we confess your wondrous love to us and your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love to proclaim your mercies in gathered worship on the Lord's Day. And so we have gathered here to give thanks to you, to proclaim uh, your mercies, to sing of your goodness and your love to us and your Son. Father, we thank you for your living and active word that pierces soul and spirit, joints and marrow. We pray, Father, that as the word is read and proclaim this evening that you would do just that by the power of your spirit. Divide us through the middle that we might be made more like your son, Jesus Christ, and that you might more and more cause us to live unto righteousness in him. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, this is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world made, was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God. The first few words of this passage are in the beginning. In the beginning. Now these words should immediately draw us back to the very first words of the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now this is intentional on the part of John the Gospel writer. If we think about the character of Genesis 1 and the prologue here in Genesis 1, as this section is called, 
One thing we can say is that they are both, this prologue in John and the beginning of Genesis, they are both unique in relationship to the rest of Scripture. There's nothing like what is seen here in John 1, and there's nothing like what is seen in Genesis 1 in the rest of Scripture. They have a character somewhat all their own. And if we compare the prologue here in John with the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's nothing like this in those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so the point that needs to be made here is that there is a majestic quality to the first 18 verses of this Gospel, just like there is a majestic quality to the Genesis creation account in chapter 1 at the beginning of the Bible. These sections are unique. They employ language and words that are put together in ways that aren't necessarily put together in like this in the rest of Scripture. The creation account in Genesis and, and then John's account or John's prologue in chapter 1 are not more or less the Word of God. They are All of Scripture is the Word of God. But we should never, nevertheless appreciate their unique character. Now why is this important? Because John... The beginning of John draws us back to the beginning of the, the Bible, Genesis, which should help us think about what John was doing in the prologue in this section in John. What did the creation account in Genesis do for the Israelites? What was its purpose or what did it, how did it serve the Israelites? Well, Genesis formed a, or formed a basis of understanding or background for not, only, for not only their lives as God's, God's people, but it formed a background and a foundation for an understanding of their redemption from slavery in Egypt. It gave them a history, a history of this God that covenanted with them, a history of this God who redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, and a record of how this God initially called this people and brought them into existence. That is what Genesis does for them. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. The same God who created the heavens and the earth is the God who called them out from under Pharaoh's uh, tyrannical grasp. And so that's what Genesis had served, that's how Genesis served for the Israelites of old. God created the heavens and the earth and it was very good. He commanded man made in his image to multiply and to fill the earth. And he held out before man God's Sabbath rest. It was an invitation to enter into the Sabbath rest of God when he rested on the Sabbath day. And so too here in John, we have the background or the basis for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where he's headed. This is a gospel book, after all, a gospel, the gospel of John. This is his account of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed. Who is this Christ? Who is this one who died on the cross, who eventually John will describe being crucified, and being buried towards the end of the gospel? Who is this Christ? Well, that's what the prologue here in chapter 1 gives us, a background. This is, what it, this is how it serves this is a background for Jesus' coming into the world and being crucified for the sins of the world and being resurrected on the third day. 
The creation account served as a background for Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt. The prologue of John here, in these first 18 verses, serve as a, serves as a background for the redemption of people from all nations, not just Israel. Redemption for people from all nations, not from slavery to a civil ruler like Pharaoh, but slavery, being redeemed from slavery from a spiritual ruler, Satan, and being redeemed from slavery to sin and death. That is what the Gospels are about. That is what the Gospel of John is about. And the prologue in this Gospel gives us a background for that redemption, for that greater redemption, that greater exodus from slavery, that greater redemption from the clutches of an oppressive ruler, namely the prince of darkness, the devil himself. And so that is what we have here in these first 18 verses. In the beginning, of course, tonight we're, just, we're going to focus on the first five verses for the most part, though I'll mention uh, some uh, points from the rest of the passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John refers to the Son of God as the Word here. He refers to Jesus, the one who would lead us in the greater exodus from slavery to sin and death. He refers to him as the Word, the Logos in Greek. Now, of course, we have to ask why John used this word to refer to the Son. There have been several attempts to do this. Logos was a loaded philosophical term at the time. That could be part of the reason. John may have simply snatched this loaded philosophical term to fill it with the proper substance, the proper truth about what it actually means. One commentator says it's just a John thing that he calls Jesus uh, the Word. Now, John is quite poetical, uh, you compare the beginning of this gospel with the beginning of the other gospels. It's uh, not like the other gospels. He's, uh, in essence, uses poetry to begin his gospel. But he does call uh, Jesus the Word. John Calvin wanted to translate it speech. If you think about Revelation chapter 19 and, and that reference to Jesus there in the, at the end of the Bible... It says this, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. It's Jesus Christ. Of course, Revelation being the same author as this gospel. Now, calling Christ the Word is, in fact, unique to John. But if we look at the rest of Scripture, and specifically Genesis 1, we might get an idea of what is being communicated here. Why does he call Jesus the Word? Well, in Genesis 1, for instance, God speaks. He spoke what? He spoke words. Let there be light. Those are some of the words that he spoke in the beginning. God's word has the power to create and to sustain life then. Paul says of Christ in Colossians that all things were created through him, that is through Christ and for him. And so if we put these things together, obviously the Son is present at creation. He is there, creating. All things were created through him and for him. That's what John says here at the beginning, that Jesus Christ, this redeemer of the elect, this, new, this greater Moses, 
is at once, in the same time, the Creator God at the beginning. He is the Son through whom all things were made. Again, this is precisely what John says in verse 2. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We are made in God's image. Men and women are. We are made in God's image. We reflect something of His glory. We might think of the way our own speech emanates from us and reveals us, reveals something about us. We can't know really what's inside of a person until when, until they speak. In fact, Paul even says that in Corinthians. You can't know what's inside of a person until they tell you, until they reveal something to you. They speak. You have to hear them say something in order to know really what's on their heart. Well, in a similar way, we can think about how the Son reveals the Father and hence His use of the term, the Word. The Son reveals the Father. He is the only begotten of the Father and therefore He is the one who truly reveals God, truly reveals the Heavenly Father. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, the Son, the Word, who is who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And so if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know God, if you want to draw near to God, the God who created all things, here's where you go. The Word. The Son. He reveals Him. He is at the Father's side. You go to the Gospel accounts, and you read and you hear about this man who ministered on earth, and yet... He's not like other men. He was at the beginning with God, creating all things. And you read in the gospel accounts how this man grew up and then he died for his people. That is who God is. You want to know who God is? You want to know what he's like? Look look into the face of Jesus Christ. He will tell you. Now, we should not push this too far. We've talked about how we're made in the image of God. We reflect something of his glory. And so... We speak, we reveal ourselves in our speech. Now, that is true. Maybe we can get something from that. We're trying to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Word here. But we shouldn't push it too far. We should not think of God the Father as having a form. And the Word that goes out from His mouth is an invisible speech. It's not like that. God is Spirit. He doesn't have a form. But we do confess from Scripture that the Son is begotten of the Father. He's eternally begotten from the Father. The way that speech emanates from us and reveals what is inside of us, the Son is begotten of the Father. Again, John 1.18, No man has seen God, the only begotten God, the Son, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. That same word, only begotten Son, that same word is used in John 3.16, the famous famous. Uh, passage that a lot of people know, most people know, even if they're not a believer. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's a reference there to the eternal begottenness of the Son. The Son is eternally begotten from the Father before all worlds. Now remember, when we're thinking about this, we're thinking about John's use of the word, of, of the word, that word, word, the word, the word, right? Logos, using logos, calling Jesus the word. 
Why does he do it? And what does it mean as a reference to the Son of God? Well, think about how God calls us into the fellowship of his Son. He uses his word. He calls us by the gospel. He speaks to us in the gospel. And he recreates us by his word. Think about how people embrace Christ, the word, through the public proclamation, which is a speech act. Is a good news, something that's proclaimed by the mouths of people, by the mouths of men. And people come into contact with Jesus in that speech act, in that public proclamation. Think about Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So all of this taken together we might be able to scratch the surface at what exactly John is getting at by calling Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John explains to us that this Word was not only with God, but He was God. Now, when we think about the begottenness of God, you might think that the Son is subordinate to the Father in some way. Like a natural-born Son is subordinate to His blood-born father. But that is not the case at all. The word was with God. He distinguished, he is distinguished from the father, but he is not separated from the father. The word was God. The son is equal to the father in power and glory. Both are true. The son is not the father. He's distinguished from the father, but he is equal to the father in terms of divinity, in terms of glory and power. Each person of the Trinity worthy of our worship and our praise and our service. But it is the Son in particular who would take on human flesh, who would tabernacle among us, as he will say later in this passage. The Word is equal with the Father and yet distinguished from Him as the Son. The Word is equal with God and yet John distinguishes from distinguishes the Son, the Word, from God by saying He was with the Father. Jesus prayed this prayer before He got arrested. He said, Father, glorify Me in Your presence with the glory I had with You before the world began. This is a reference to that glory. That the Word was with God and that the Word was God before anything that we know existed in this creation. The in the beginning of John refers to eternity when there was no beginning. Moses, in the, book, in the book of Genesis, takes us back to the beginning of creation. John, in his prologue, takes us back even farther into eternity. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The, life, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John is referring here to the Son's life-giving and life-sustaining power in all men. This is not just believers that he's referring to. This is all men. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything they made that was made. And so this is a reference to all, all things. He is the light for all men, meaning he gives life to all men. He sustains their life. He gives them the ability to think, to rationalize. To worship, he, all that they do, they, to speak, to live, to move, to have their being, all that they do is given to them from this Word, from the Word who was with God in the beginning. 
This is why when we confess Christ before the world and before unbelievers, we are not confessing the person of the Son to people who absolutely have no knowledge of Him. We are defending the faith against people who are sustained by this Word, upheld by Him. He is the light that gives them life. And so we seek to draw them to that light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now this is a reference now into the way in which Jesus, as the light, enters into the darkness of sin in this world. John is in this verse moving from the reality of the Son as the life and the light of all things to the Son as the light who would pierce the darkness of sin and evil by coming into the world. The Son who is the light and life shines in the darkness like the sun that breaks the night in the morning. It is a sure and certain victory that the light of the Son of God will overcome the darkness of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and by taking on human flesh, he enters into the darkness of this age, the darkness of our sin, the darkness of our rebellion against God, and he overcomes that darkness. The darkness has not overcome him. Indeed, it can't. Now, if you think about popular literature, popular movies, popular stories, much of those stories include forces of evil on the one side and forces of good on the other. And often they are referred to as the light on the one side, as the good, the dark forces of darkness on the other. And they're presented as two equal forces going, combating against each other. And you're wondering who will overcome uh, in the end. Well, that is not the case with this light and darkness that John refers to here. The darkness cannot overcome the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This light who was coming into the world, who was with God at the beginning, at the beginning of the world, and who, through whom all things were made. He took on human flesh and he tabernacled among us. He dwelled among us as one of us, and yet not entirely like us. He was without sin. He was also fully divine. This light came into the world, and he willingly subjected himself to the darkness of sin in the world, the rejection of his own people. The rejection of the world. That's what John talks about in this passage. The world did not know him. That is, they, the world did not love him. And so they rejected him. The world and his people coincided then to have him crucified. To snuff out the light. To darken the light. And Jesus went through that. This word made flesh went through that. He entered into the darkness of sin. The darkness of being forsaken by God on the cross, the darkness of the grave. And yet the grave could not hold him because he is the light. The light has overcome the darkness. The true light shines in the darkness. And so this is who this Jesus is that John would be describing for 20 plus chapters, or for 20 chapters in the Gospel of John. That's just who he's going to be be talking about. The light that was in the beginning with God creating all things, that light came into the world and tabernacled among us. This true light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now for us friends, we are light in Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is full of darkness and yet because the light that is in us is the light of Christ, the darkness cannot ultimately overcome us. 
it will ultimately, in the end, pierce through. Like the sun that shines forth on a cloudless morning and pierces the darkness, our light will eventually and must gain the victory because of what Christ has done.